This is Eric Luby, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellerslie.com to learn more. This message, I think, has been rehearsed uh, many times. Uh, I've given it in so many different ways, and if you were to ask me why I keep returning to this theme, I would say either it's because my own personal life needs it so desperately, or it's because I have a conviction that the body of Christ needs to understand this. I'm not going to say more than anything else, because the centrality of Jesus and the cross is the, is the point of contact with our soul that we most need. However, when you start living out Christ and his cross, there is a framework of thinking and living that is essential for us to have. We must know this so that the devil doesn't play us. When we know this, we thrive in our Christianity. When we don't know this, we wither in our Christianity. So how important is this? I would say it's extremely important. When Leslie and I first started in ministry, we didn't understand this. It's not that we didn't know the scriptures. Every scripture that I could read on this topic, we could nod along, yeah, amen. Amen, that's the word of God. However, we don't always appropriate it. We don't know how to appropriate it. You know, it's like someone handing you a hammer and not showing you how to use it. You could grab the wrong end and hit with the, you know, the, the wooden side and wonder why it doesn't work. And that's the way a lot of us are with the truth. We get handed the truth, but we misappropriate it. We don't know how it works. We don't know how to utilize it. And so therefore, though we memorize it and though we can repeat it, we don't know how to properly utilize it so that it actually works. Christianity that works is basically the only version I'm interested in. I'm really not interested in talking anymore about the version of Christianity that sounds good in the head and doesn't work in the life. And unfortunately, we have a lot of that. We've all experienced that form of Christianity that has a whole bunch of good memory verses down, but doesn't live it. And as far as I'm concerned, there is no value in that. There is only value in the version of Christianity that functions, that has action to it, that works, that is a doer instead of just a hearer. And so if there was that one pill or that injection that you could stick into someone's life and they would get it, this would be one of the key things I would hand off to you. It's just like, Eric, I'm going into battle. I need something from you. And I go, take this, swallow it, you know, at least with a little water and it'll go down. If I could transfer kingdom truth that way, it seems I could be a lot easier. However, that isn't how kingdom truth is imparted. I could speak this, and none of you could understand it today. And I could speak it again, and none of you would understand You'd hear the words, but you wouldn't know how to appropriate it. But when the Holy Spirit takes a hold of this, and you have a receptivity in the soil of your soul, God does something. There is an ignition that takes place. And so that is what we desire today. And so from our vantage point, my vantage point is dependence upon the Holy Spirit to say, I could deliver this truth and it could mean nothing to anyone. But I want to depend upon the Holy Spirit that he will take it and utilize it and that he will set it aflame in your heart. Your role is to receive, to come into a receptivity position and say, oh, I know this, I know this, I know this. You could know heavenly truth intellectually but not know it in the depths of your soul. It's the weirdest thing. 
How could you know that theologically and yet not really understand it practically? Understanding truth practically is where the rubber meets the road. Pleasure in weakness. Uh, so just the title itself, um, I'm not sure if you're catching a hold of the fact that something seems a little off with the title. Pleasure in weakness? You know, how about surviving weakness? Or maybe like somehow making it through weakness. Somehow not having a bad attitude. Or, you know, uh, attempting to smile in weakness. I mean, we could have all sorts of versions that probably better describe how we handle weakness. Now, weakness is a general term that the Bible is going to wield but it has a lot of things to it. It could be financial, it could be emotional, it could be physical, it could be practical. There's all sorts of versions of weakness that we all could relate to in different seasons of our life, but not many of us have pleasure in that weakness. You know, if we were to take and, and remove weakness and say pleasure in, like, okay, Eric, Eric, ask Eric's natural man, pleasure, let's see, a venti, Ice chai with seven pumps. Okay, it sounds terrible. I should just say with one extra pump because some of you are like, seven pumps? It's just one extra. It's not that much, right? Okay, that would be, oh yeah, it's pretty easy to take pleasure in that. A chocolate shake. One of Sandy McConaughey's chocolate chip cookies. Okay, you follow me? I mean, these are things that we could easily take pleasure in. You're like, some of you noticed that all mine were food related. <laughs> but there's other things like pleasure in Christmas morning. Okay, those are things that we can easily relate to as humans, and we can swap stories and say, yeah, oh, that was so good. Pleasure when the Broncos finally won a Super Bowl. And there's a whole bunch of Bronco fans. They know that when we beat Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers back in that one Super Bowl, I don't know what number it was, but it was good. I mean, it was literally, it was pleasure, right? And we can swap stories and experiences, and we can say, I understand what you're talking about. You see a sunset and you, and you take pleasure in the beauty of it and you look to the person next to you, they understand why you're taking pleasure in it. They see it too and they go, yeah, that is beautiful. But when you are suffering and you take pleasure in it and you look to the person next to you who's also suffering, they don't get it. They don't naturally understand why you would take pleasure in your weakness. We need to understand as the church of Jesus Christ why not just how to, but even why we take pleasure in weakness. So this is a uh, quote that I want to start uh, coming out of our own souls. This is a statement from Paul the Apostle. I take pleasure in my infirmity. That is one of the strangest statements you could ever hear. I mean, could you imagine sticking that on your refrigerator as one of your quotes or on your wall, you frame it. I take pleasure in my infirmity. Now, infirmity is a, not a normal word that we use. I mean, you, I think most of us know what it means. You know, you think of the infirmary, uh, right, where sick people are laying. But it's weakness. I take pleasure in my weakness. Cuckoo. Who would ever come to that conclusion? Who would ever make such a statement? Paul the Apostle, who is probably the closest thing to what we could call a pattern of what it means to live in Christ. Jesus is a pattern of what it means when God lives in a man's body, right? But then Paul the Apostle is a picture of what it looks like when Jesus moves in and lives inside of a man's body. 
what is this? This thing that has happened at the, the cross and the resurrection and the impartation of the Holy Spirit, what does it look like? We look at Paul the Apostle, and he says, follow me as I follow Christ. He makes it very clear that what we have seen and heard in him we are to do. So there is, he even himself is going to say, you have me as a pattern. Uh, look at that quote. How, how about that quote as a pattern for our soul? I take pleasure in my infirmity. So 2 Corinthians 12.10, contextually we are in this thing, most people know it as the thorn in the flesh, and it's a very unique little passage of scripture that people stumble over all the time, right? It's a strange one, granted. Paul is going to say, I take pleasure in infirmities, which is translated in most translations as in weaknesses, in reproaches, which is translated in other translations as insults, that probably makes more sense to us, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. I take pleasure. It's not just I, I'm willing to endure. I'm willing to somehow make it through this. I take pleasure. That is a very, very active state of the soul to choose. I take pleasure in Christmas morning, right? We all understand that. You are choosing, even as you go into it, I'm gonna have fun in this. Oh, I'm going to really enjoy this. When you sit down, I don't know how many of you are like this, because I'm a coffee shop sort of character. There's different people, people that hate coffee shops, like Leslie. Well, how could you not like a coffee shop? It has the music going in the background, and it has like all this buzz around, and she's like, ah, I can't work here. I need that to work. It is the strangest thing. You get a little buzz around me, like people just moving around and you know moving chairs and, and uh, big glass windows over here. And there's something about the venti ice chai with seven pumps sitting right there. If it's sitting right there, I work better, you know. And I might I might even forget to drink it, but if it's there, the little buzz, little music. I hate Starbucks music, right? I, but I don't listen to it. It's just making in the background. It's like Charlie Brown, you know, teacher noise. I don't hear it, right? So I can work there. Leslie's like, how do you do that? But for me, I take pleasure in that. Once I sit down and I have my computer open and the venti ice chai is sitting there, it's like, I'm in my groove. We can understand that, but it's a soul condition. I am choosing. I delight in this. Could you imagine approaching, and let me give you the list again, infirmities or weaknesses, reproaches, insults, needs, persecutions, distresses with that same attitude. Opening your computer, ice chai there, I'm in my groove. This is what I'm built for. This is what I have grace for. This is when the Spirit of God shines in and through my life. Hmm. That's not very normal, is it? And for many of us, we're struggling, even though you're hearing me right now, you can't quite comprehend. It's like the synopsis are not quite firing properly. Like, they don't quite match. It doesn't match reality to many of us. But it's the truth. So that truth needs to somehow work in us to set us free from our lowly thinking. So here's a fuller context. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So Paul seems to have had visions, high visions of heavenly things. And lest he exalt himself above measure, it seems that this messenger of Satan has been given to him which is known as a thorn in the flesh. Okay, that's why. Theologically, this is like one of those things where people are like, well, what in the world am I supposed to do with that? 
right? But it's a thorn in the flesh, which is basically a very sharp stick, pointed stick in his body, okay? Now, none of us have any idea what that is, and that's probably on purpose, lest we build our doctrine about sharp sticks in bodies, okay? All we know is it was something that was impacting his life that he really wanted gone, and he pled three times to have it removed. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And God answered and said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, it's interesting because not many uh, English teachers would probably tell you to give two therefores in one little paragraph, right? But he's going to give a therefore and then another therefore. So therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, here's our statement. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, we're all hearing the words, but... <laughs> How in the world, if you're weak, could you then be strong? Okay, you have to admit, if we're just looking at this, you know, just like dissecting it out on a table, and we're like taking its parts, so, Paul, you're weak. Then if you're weak, you can't be strong. That, that doesn't make any sense. If you're weak, you're weak. So therefore, when I'm weak, I'm weak. That would make sense to us. When I'm sick, I'm sick. That would make sense to us. When I'm distressed, I'm distressed. That would make sense to us. It's not when I'm distressed, I'm happy. That doesn't make sense. When I'm weak, I'm strong. That doesn't make sense. Or does it? You see, there is a mind behind this that we need to step into. We have to forsake our previous thinking and recognize that God thinks at a higher level. He functions at a higher level. He wants to elevate our life. He's like, you're stuck down in the zone down there, the human zone. Everyone behaves that way. I want you to enter into my thinking, my living, my reasoning. This is an opportunity for you. This is the greatest thing. This is better than opening your computer and having a venti iced chai with an extra pump in it. This is better, Eric. This is better than Christmas morning. Is it better than a chocolate shake? Yes. Is it better than one of Sandy McConaughey's chocolate chip cookies? Yes. Weakness is better. Distresses are better. Persecutions are better. And God leans in and he says, Eric, I'm going to speak bluntly to your soul right now. The answer is yes. Do you trust me? Will you allow me to teach you what I mean by that? And that's the same for all of us. Even though we're in the fog zone right now, we hear the words, but we don't fully understand the words. It's sort of like, take me by the hand. I want to walk you through something. If you get this, it changes your life. 2 Corinthians 12.10. Obviously, we just read this. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So now, one of the ways to help understand this is to stick the word human or humanly, an adverb, in front of weak. For when I am humanly weak, and then let's stick heavenly in front of strong. 
For when I am humanly weak, then I am heavenly strong. And there is nothing better than being heavenly strong. Being heavenly strong is greater, like if you, if you had the opportunity for heavenly strength and God said, but you need to be humanly weak to get it, you would say, absolutely. I mean, that's a no-brainer right there. So you're saying all I need to be is humanly weak, but I get the heavenly strength? Yeah. Well, sure. I take pleasure in my human weakness because it's opening the door to my heavenly strength. Absolutely, is my answer. The biblical principle of weakness. Where I am shortchanged in my earthly life, God supplies grace. You see, when you have an abundance in this life, you don't need something. You don't need God. You don't need his intervention in your life. And therefore, you are shortchanged in a heavenly matter, in a heavenly way. And you, most of us are fine with that. We're like, you know what? I would rather have my bank account packed full of money, and I don't need to understand the supernatural provision of God. I mean, to be honest, that would be a lot nicer. And any of you, like I saw Mike uh, laugh at that, Anyone, any of us that run a ministry, we struggle with that one. It's like, Lord, I take pleasure in my empty bank accounts, uh, you know, for it is strengthening me and showing your great grandeur to the world. But at the same time, if God came up to us and said, would you like a full bank account, maybe for a couple years, just, I, I just like stock it full, uh, yes, would be our quick answer. We'd probably answer quicker than we should without asking God what he thinks, right? Because there's a propensity and a desire for earthly strength, for earthly stability, and we're suckers for it, and as a result, we fail to discover the greater pleasure, the greater supply. There is something so much better than earthly satisfaction. However, you sometimes have to forsake the earthly, and you have to become weak in the earthly to taste what God wants to give us. Jackie Pullinger, this is a quote I've, I've given many times because it so impacted my life. This is what started me on this journey, actually. Missionary to Hong Kong, uh, Jackie, uh, she went over there when she was like 17, 18, 19. Uh, no, no ticket home, just shows up in the walled city. The walled city of Hong Kong at the time, I don't know, I can't speak to how it is now, was so decadent, was so depraved that even the police would not enter into it. And this young girl steps in, and she lives there for like 40 years and transforms. It's an extraordinary story, right? She, she has this little apartment in the walled city, and uh, every night she doesn't even, isn't able to sleep in her own bed because she has all these heroin addicts that are coming off of heroin, just like 20 of them in her room every night. It's just like this massive hospital basically that she's creating with her life spiritually and so these people she's praying over them as they're coming as they're giving their life to Christ but they have massive addictions and she's walking them through this it's like the life you would not choose okay if we were all looking at a life it's like my life here in America my life in the walled city of Hong Kong and she comes back and she's speaking one of the things she was struggling with you could even hear it in her voice when she came back to speak to fat happy Americans she was really struggling. You could tell she almost wanted to get mad at all of us. And she makes this statement. It was a very sharp statement. And it was this. It's been on the screen this whole time. You may have your own bed, but I know God's grace. I still remember this. I was listening. I was painting a room when I was listening to these audio cassettes of this 
conference that she came to America and gave, years before I even listened to it. And I remember I would just sort of, you know, rewind. Listen to that. It's like, what? Why, why is it that in my natural man, I really want my own bed? But when she says that, she's indicating that she has something superior to what I have. I'm not exactly sure that I want to find it, but I'm intrigued enough to lean in and go, what is that, Lord? I didn't even understand what grace was at the time. What is that? That she knows God's grace? Do we know God's grace? Because if we are satisfied, if we have every one of our needs met, we don't have need of God's grace. But where there is weakness, God's grace cascades in. And so as a result, it's like, wait a minute. So you're saying if I have weakness, I get more grace? That's right. But you have to know how important grace is to really understand why you would rejoice when you start getting it. So here's a quote from our soul. But I would uh, <clears throat> rather just have earthly strength than you don't understand the power, beauty, and wonder of grace. Once you begin to taste grace, you recognize that Jackie Pullinger is right. She has something superior to what we have, and the way she is getting it is by giving up her earthly strength and by becoming greater in her dependence upon her king. And as she gives up earthly strength and she accepts earthly weakness, she is getting a supply of something beyond what most of us in this room probably maybe have ever tasted. The question is, are we intrigued enough to lean in and understand not just what Jackie Pullinger says, but what Paul says? Paul is the one that took the lead on this 2,000 years ago. He's saying, guys, there's a better way to live. There's a superior pleasure. The question is, do you really want it? So I'm going to go through three losses that I've experienced in the past month and a half. And I know many of you have walked through this too. There's some of you that are on the Ellerslie team, and you know uh, what it's like to lose the McConaughey's. Here, the McConaughey's have been here since the beginning of Ellerslie. And I was given a series this fall called Daring to Do with Stanley Dale. And they had just returned from Belize. You know, and I keep wondering, should I not have given the series Daring to Do with Stanley Dale? Because God spoke to them in and through. This is about the, the, the subtitle of the series was The Unreached can, Will Not Reach Themselves. The Unreached Can't Reach Themselves. And they were so stirred. Their missionary fervor was stirred up. And the next thing you know, they're feeling called to full-time work in Belize. It's like, boy, did I blow that one, uh, right? No, I didn't, but... The loss of someone that close. I mean, Sandy's been my executive assistant for 12, 13 years. And she's not just a professional in my life that helps me. She's one of my closest friends. And she knows me. It's one of those things, like, she knows when I walk in almost what I need. She, when I would get done with a sermon, she comes up to me with a little uh, breath mint, which I don't know if that was because she could smell it across the, uh, the, the, the room, and she would give me water. She would it was just like someone other than just my wife and my mom that just is very aware of my life and needs. And that ministers at a very deep level to you. And sometimes you don't fully understand the value of it until it's lifted out and it goes to Belize full time. That was a big loss in my life. And I'm going to call it a practical weakness. You, I can't tell you how many times I 
turn to Sandy, and I go, Sandy, could you make sure that person gets a response back? Could you send a thank you note to this person? Could you send a gift to this person? Could you get this in the mail? Could you print this off for me? And now suddenly I'm like, ah, I'm looking around. Every single other member of our staff is like totally maxed out, looking to point fingers elsewhere too. I don't know how to get anything done all of a sudden. How do I do that without Sandy? Eric suddenly is, is experiencing some weakness. The next one. December 26th, I know probably all of you in here know that my father passed away. And my father may not have even known to say this before he passed away, but possibly one of my biggest fans. Okay, to the point where I almost didn't see it because to me he almost seemed blindly supportive. Like it didn't matter what I did, he was like, Eric's great. Oh yeah, Eric, did you see what Eric did? Oh, Eric's books are the best books. Oh, when Eric speaks, he's the best speaker. It's just like so biased. Just like when I was in high school sports, like put in Eric, Eric's your best player. It's like, no matter what I do, Eric is great, right? And you don't realize how much that undergirds you in a world that is criticizing you until it's gone. And I don't have my dad's bias anymore. I can remember his bias, but I can't just call him up and he's like, Eric, I'm, I'm just so proud of you. And in my mind, even as he would say it, I'm like, well, of course you are. You're just always biased. It doesn't matter what I do, dad, you're gonna, you're gonna be supportive of me. Well, remove that and suddenly you have what I'm gonna call an emotional weakness. You don't realize that until it's just gone. And so this is all happening within a month time for Eric. And after sort of criticizing and mocking and holding in contempt COVID-19 for the last two years, guess who finally decides to just try it out? Uh, and so in mid-January, I think it was somewhere, maybe it was earlier January, I, I'm sort of trying to block it out. But it was not a very pleasant process. I'm just going to say that. And I was so weak in and through that. I was so tired. And I, I mean, it was not a, a fun thing to go through. And I felt old. I don't know how many of you, you know, when you, you hear about these people that are ending up in the hospital and you're like, oh, all those old people really are affected by COVID. And then suddenly I'm like, am I one of those old people? <laughs> I mean, my body was responding a lot slower. It usually just you know, shoves these things out. It's like, what is this? And so in this time period, I'm, I'm experiencing now, I'm going to call that physical weakness, loss of bodily strength, all in the same period of time. What am I enjoying? What does Eric have the opportunity for? To take pleasure in weakness. You see, I'm, any more than you, I'm not attracted naturally to weakness. There is nothing about it that's like, oh, could I have a little more of that? Everything about weakness is undesirable to my natural man. And yet, in this stretch, this has been one of the most important month and a halfs of my life, potentially. It is so defining for me in God walking me through this at a whole nother level. Because I've experienced weakness many times in my life. I have gone through this message in my soul many times. This is not a new terrain for me, and yet it's a deeper one because of how God is walking me through it. So the setting of the stage, the loss, the collapse, the greatest difficulties arrive right before the greatest breakthrough. I was saying that to uh, Mike Hahn, the, you know, his little feet has gone through all sorts of challenges, physical health issues, but 
there's an unknown and there's difficulties. And one of the things I keep repeating to my soul is what Leslie and I are going through, which has been very unique and uh, that we sense that God is setting us up for a breakthrough. And you could say, how do you know that? Well, because this is how it works. When you are brought to a place of weakness, God's strength is able to be revealed at a whole nother level in and through your life. I know this. I know it doctrinally. Sometimes I resist it as I'm going through it. But I know it, and I understand it. So when I was going through my bout with COVID, I don't even like saying it out loud, uh, but when I was going through my personal bout, one of the ways that it affected me is I had probably the worst sore throat I've ever had in my life, and I had it for like six straight days. You could not temper it. It was just like on fire. And I had some weird issue with my cortisol levels. Right when I'd be falling asleep, it's like my body would refuse, like it was trying to save me, and it would shoot cortisol into my body. So I had this adrenaline rush, and I would literally hop out of bed. It was so extreme. It was like, whew. And I'm standing on my feet in the middle of the night trying to you know, go to sleep, and suddenly I'm on my feet outside of my bed. And I could not sleep for three straight days. So three straight days, no sleep. My body, and I, I started to wonder if I'd ever sleep again. It was this weird thing. And so in this time, I am, I'm a walker. Anyways, I can't sit. Uh, and so I walked all night long, all day long, for three days. You, you've never seen a Fitbit. My Fitbit was like, rah, rah, rah. I had so many steps in three days. I mean, it was just like all-time record type of stuff. I'm sure Fitbit was just like getting these his daddy and going, what's going on with this guy? <clears throat> but I was pacing around the living room all night long. Now get this, I had the bait for self-pity, it was there. I had the bait for grumbling and complaining, for begging God to remove this thorn. But I know this message. I know what I'm teaching you now and I've rehearsed it to my soul so many times. And so I was walking around and if there was a video camera on it, it probably would be pretty funny because I'm like, every, every time I'd get that fresh wave of like, oh, poor you, you haven't slept in how long? I would shoot my fist into the air and go, Lord Jesus, I rejoice right now. I want you to maximize the impact of this weakness in my life. Now it was a little more of a wheeze than that. It was like, uh, but it was a very real choice in my soul. And it didn't change my weakness necessarily right away to do that. A lot of us think, okay, what's the elixir? I just, I say I rejoice and now suddenly it all goes away. But to rejoice in the weakness, I knew God was forming greater strength in and through it. I knew it. And as a result, I was choosing to take pleasure in this weakness. Not in COVID, in the weakness. Okay, still a little upset about COVID. The February 2nd vision. So February 2nd is Reese's birthday, but it's also my spiritual birthday. And so February 2nd, just a few days ago, I had my, I think it was my 33rd version, my 33rd edition, but it was my 32nd year of walking radically for Jesus. Using the word radically is a little dangerous, but uh, February 2nd, 1990 is when I stepped into a fervent relationship with Christ. I grew up in a Christian home, but something happened in college and I was like, I am all in. And so every February 2nd, it's a special time between me and God. And I've celebrated this every year and I'm very expectant. And I thought, I remember even on February 1st thinking, it is not an accident 
that I'm this week going into February 2nd. God, I know that you're doing something. Now, I'm, I'm not going to go into what God did because that's more on the personal level, but I feel, and those of you that have been in this congregation have walked through this past, I don't know, couple months with me, know that I've been in a wrestling mode asking God for clarity. It's like, I know I'm doing Ellerslie, but God, how am I supposed to do it? I don't want to just presume I do the same thing. I sense that you're wanting to do something new and different, but I don't know what it is, and I don't like being in a fog bank. God, could you bring clarity to this? And this has been my wrestling match for the past while, and I feel like God has brought clarity. I feel like he has sharpened my understanding. And get this, it was in a season of weakness. That strength is beginning to come forth. When you have vision, boy, you get the growl on. When you don't have vision, it's hard to growl towards the future. It's like, hey, watch out, devil, I'm coming, I think. I don't know how I'm gonna get there, I don't know which way I'm going, but I'm coming for you. You know, but when you start to get vision, it sharpens you, and it gets the growl going, the strength. Out of weakness, his strength is revealed. The events that shake us also shape us. So this is a statement I, I gave during my Daring to Do a Stanley Dale series this fall, and it was, I think, in the message, Daring to Die as Stanley Dale. So it's talking about Stanley Dale's martyrdom. Very powerful episode. But this quote, the events that shake us also shape us. If you recognize that that were true in your life, then you wouldn't resent the difficulties that you walk through because you recognize, just like when you go to a gym, okay, if any of you have ever been in a gym and there's weights there, and what do you do with the weight? I mean, isn't it funny that we will deliberately walk up to a weight and pick it up? It's like, you do know that that is like weight. It is like, whoa, whoa, do you feel that? It's like some lactic acid is starting to pump through your body. Oh, it's a little stingy. And you're going to be doing this type of stuff. <laughs> Why would you do that? Oh, pain. Pain that makes you stronger. You see, the kingdom of heaven is made up of that sort of pain. When you appropriate it properly. If I threw a weight at you and you just like got hit by it and were laying on the floor with this dumbbell on top of you, you know what? It wouldn't be very pleasant. And you could be like, oh, moaning and groaning, right? But if you caught the weight and did a few exercises with it, you could say, I take pleasure in that. Thank you. Thank you for this. I, I, I'm getting stronger through it. You see, a weight could be deemed in two lights. It could be a pain, it could be something that crushes you, or it could be something that builds you stronger. The events that shake us also shape us. So way back, Harper's 15 now, what was it? I mean, close to 16 years ago, but 15 and a half years ago or so, we had a miscarriage. And it's really hard to find a blessing in a miscarriage, right? It's just a negative. It's just a trial. It's just an infirmity. And yet, out of that difficulty came forth a movement of grace in our life that's hard to put words to and how blessed our life has become because of it. Now think about this. Because we lost this life, God is going to stir inside of us. It was very deep pain. If any of you have gone through a miscarriage, you understand what I mean by that. It was a very difficult process to walk through. But it was a pain that God leveraged to remind us that there are a whole bunch of little babies 
that no one cares about, that are dying every day that no one cares about. And you see, God wanted us to be attuned to the value of that life. Because it's easy just to say, okay, I'm going to self-preserve and I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to care about that life. I'm just going to act like it was just tissue and it passed away. And say, God wouldn't allow that. He's like, that matters to me, Eric. If you don't cry, no one's crying. I gave, you're my tears in this natural realm. I care about that life. I need you to care about that life. And then I begin to think, if God cares about that life, how many more lives are there that aren't being cared about? And that was a change point for both Leslie and I. And I remember us saying, God, we have been hard-hearted towards so many lives out there. And could you give us your heart, your burden for those that don't have someone caring for them right now? And we prayed for months over this, like, God, what do you want us to do with our platform? What are we supposed to do? And that led to the adoption of Harper. And you could just imagine, okay, no miscarriage, no Harper. Okay, we could ask Harper how she feels about that, right? But you ask Eric and Leslie about that, and you say, Eric, how do you feel about that miscarriage? Well, the miscarriage is devastating, but you know how I can see it? I can take pleasure in that challenge, though I'm not even going to say it came from God. It could have been a work of the devil to sabotage my life and try and destroy it. However, when I appropriate it and I allow the Holy Spirit to take even what could have been meant for evil in my life and do a flip with it and convert it, it becomes a triumph. And that miscarriage doesn't just lead to Harper, but it leads to Kipling. And it doesn't just lead to Kipling, it leads to Lily and it leads to Reese. Think about how my life has been blessed out of that tragedy and out of that trauma. When you allow God to superintend your challenges and your weaknesses, he brings about great grace. The $6 million man, do you guys remember him? Yeah, it might age you and date you a little if you remember the bionic man, Steve Austin. Oh boy, I used to love it. I used to uh, go in, I had this friend named Donnie and we would make the, he, when he moves, like, and so we would go out and we'd lift up rocks and we were like superheroes, right? And so there's something about it, but I was trying to think through an illustration that would best enunciate to us how this works. I don't know if this is a good one. We'll, we'll see, okay? Sometimes I've given some illustrations that are just dogs. They don't work, right? It sounded like I was criticizing dogs. I like dogs. Uh, when human parts are replaced with bionic parts, a superhero is made. So what happens is Steve Austin goes down in some military uh, helicopter, and he's badly hurt, damaged, probably going to die, but they choose him, the, the government chooses him to experiment on, and they stick in bionic parts into him. And now he has super strength. I still remember, oh, the intro to that was just like so exciting. I should watch it when I get home. It's like so good. And so he had, was it super eyesight or super hearing? I don't remember. He could leap over walls. I mean, this guy was something special, right? How did he get that something special? How did he get those bionic parts? By losing natural strength. And so, again, the illustration may not be perfect, but it is how it works in the spiritual life. See, I lose Sandy. You see, I could just wallow in that and grieve over the loss of someone so critical in my life practically, but guess what? I have God's grace. God knows my need practically. He knows what I need to do what I do, and so guess what? I'm gonna get a bionic part 
I'm going to get bionic practical help. Don't know how it's going to work, but God's going to do it because God knows what I need. If he's going to call my right arm to Belize, then he is going to supply me with something supernatural. I lost my dad. How do you make up for that? A bionic father. I have a heavenly father that moves into a more intimate position in my life that I could not have if I had an earthly father. You may have an earthly father. I have a bionic fatherhood in my life. I have something super heroic because of that. When we experience weakness, we receive God's heavenly strength to make up the difference, and it's better. The difference maker. When the human part is hurt, damaged, or missing, God steps in. He is a father to the fatherless. Psalm 68, four through six. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds by his name, Yah. That's Jehovah. And rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. It is arguably better to be weak and without. I, I've had this thought multiple times. That I, don't, I would never wish for my father to pass away. But I have something now and I have access to something that I did not have access to before. And that is the grace of God in that realm of fatherhood. That he is a father to me at a greater level than I've ever before known. Because, guess what? I'm fatherless in the natural sense now. And so as a result, I could say to you, you may have an earthly father, but I know God's grace. I have access to something, and it is arguably better to be weak and without. It's a weird thing to think of coming up to an orphan and saying, boy, do you have it good. But the orphan only has it good when they recognize this truth, which is why the gospel is so critical that it comes to this world. Because there's no complaining in the kingdom of heaven when you awaken to the fact that God makes up the difference. You may have your own bed, but I know God's grace. You may have an earthly father, but I know God's grace. You may have an earthly spouse, but I know God's grace. You may have earthly applause, but I know God's grace. You may have a lot of money in the bank, but I know God's grace. You may have a life of ease and comfort, but I know God's grace. You see, we should be braggarts as the kingdom of heaven, as the, as the church of Jesus Christ. We have a lot to brag about. Remember when Paul goes and does his boasting? We always feel a little awkward in that section. We need to go and do a little boasting. I don't have anything in this world. I'm totally overlooked, totally inconsequential, it would appear, but I have God's grace. You see, this is the boast of the soul. We have something even sweeter in Christ. Eric, could I remove this thorn? So I had a season that I would say has come to a close, but it was about four years long, and it was exquisitely painful. It is probably the most acute pain I've ever walked through in my life, and it was very, very hard. And that's where I began to learn and understand the concept of long-suffering as opposed to suffering. 
I never really thought about the difference until I went through long suffering instead of just suffering. It's like suffering. Isn't this supposed to end, God? Isn't this supposed to conclude? All the other sufferings I've gone through have ended. This one keeps going on a long time. He goes, yeah, that's why. You put long in front of suffering. You got a special word there. And there is grace for this. There really is. And I remember I was on a walk early in the morning as I was, and I was praying, and I was pleading with God to remove the thorn. Like, God, I don't know that I can keep this up. I don't know that I can even go through another day of this. This is so painful, so intense. Please remove this. And if I could describe what followed in a conversation, which is always hard, you know, you don't want to mislead people in how the interactions between the divine and the human work. But it would be a conversation that was something like this. Eric, I could remove it. But you know that intimacy, that depth of dependence that you have right now, that warmth of my presence that you've been enjoying? It's because of this. You see, because of this weakness that you have, I have increased in an abundant measure in your life, and you have something very special right now. If I remove this thorn, that diminishes as well. Did you want me to remove the thorn? Eric Ludy, human, experiencing acute pain, is going to make a decision on that prayer walk. Listen to what I said to God. I would rather have the suffering continue and to maintain the precious intimacy I have with you. I choose the intimacy. Keep the pain as long as you want here, Lord, because I see what it is bringing about. I take pleasure in my weakness. I made that decision. Was it a good decision? I think so. I'm a very happy man because of this truth. It does not mean my life is easy, but it does mean that I have grace, and it is very, very special. A merry heart works like a medicine, Proverbs 17, 22. I believe I am made stronger in and through every challenge, therefore I take pleasure in all these challenges. So there's something that when I was in my couple weeks stretch with <coughs> COVID, and I was walking throughout the night, you know, pacing, I was taking medicine. You see, merry heart translates as cheerful heart, translates as joyful heart. One translation even says laughter. Laughter works like a medicine. And so I decided that I was going to take my medicine. And I was going to constantly rejoice in and through that time. And I tell you what, you know, here I am standing in front of you. It's not, I'm not worse for the wear, right? I'm healthy. I took my medicine. And I have a jubilance in my soul. I have a vision. I have a clarity. God has walked me through, even in this past month and a half, a lot of odd things that I, I wouldn't have anticipated, couldn't have forecasted. And yet, I'm stronger for it. When I am weak, then I am strong. I understand it. I get it. I don't know how to impart it so that you get it, but if you could get it, boy, is this a good truth. Because some of you are in the midst of a morass, a challenge, a difficulty, a long suffering, 
and you just want it to go away, but you're not appropriating the benefit of it. You have access to grace right now. Don't leave it on the table. You have access to something that the world cannot touch, and you have an open door, hallway open. Everything has been cleared so that you could get more of him. Don't lose such an opportunity. Cherish such an opportunity. And you'll look at your pain and your difficulty and your challenge and your infirmity and go, thank you. Look what I get because of it. I choose to take pleasure in this because it opens up a greater cavern of intimacy, of closeness, of dependence with my king. Father, I ask that you would work this message into our souls, that we would get it, that we, like Paul, could say, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in my weaknesses, in insults, in distresses, in persecutions, in needs for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Lord, we thank you for your ways, which are so much higher than our ways. And we cherish this truth this morning. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.